Paul says in Philippians 1, and that's really hot. I, I do like to get excited, so we'll turn it down a little when you get there. Thank you, brother. My prayer for you, Paul says, is that you would grow in your knowledge of love and depth of insight, that you would discern what is best. You've probably read that passage, what is excellent. That you'd be kept pure and blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that passage? That's the prayer my father always lifted up for us, prayed over us at night. And I remember that prayer ringing in my ears all the way through high school, through college. And not all those years was I discerning what was best, let me just say. Chasing after many things, even a brother like Jared Proctor, who's here with us this evening, a pastor from Missouri, stretching out a hand, reaching, trying to take hold of me, show me some the error of my ways along the way. Thank you, brother. I got to college and surrendered to ministry, surrendered to preach, preach the word in season and out of season with great patience and careful instruction, preach the word. Right? That became a calling, a bit of a gifting, I believe, as the Lord instructed and, and challenged us to, to put that gift to work. And I, I was at uh, a Y2K service. Now, I'll tell you why I'm talking about 20 years ago in just a minute. I was at a Y2K service when we were expecting the lights to go out. Do you remember that? Huh? You remember that day, December 31st, 1999. I was... Uh, about half as old as I am now, I think, uh, 22, something like that, 23 years old, and I was going to preach at Broadway Baptist Church. They changed their name from Broadway eventually to Crossway, just for reference. Broadway, kind of an odd name for a church, isn't it? Broadway? Crossway. They, they're Crossway today. I was preaching at Broadway Baptist Church by invitation, and as a young man, if, some, if a pastor, an older pastor asks you to come and preach, uh, do you have something in mind, pastor? What would you like me to preach on? And he said, well, it's the watch night service at the end of the millennium. In times, of course. So I prepared a message out of Matthew 24. You know that passage, Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples asking him, what will be the signs of your coming of the end of the age? And Jesus starts in with birth pains, you remember? There'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines in various places. You know that passage. 2020, here we are. And all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then in verse number 9, if I'm not mistaken, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Love most will grow, will grow cold. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then verse 14 becomes a linchpin in that chapter. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom, hear it now, will be preached in all the world, geography, as a testimony to all the ethne, all the nations, peoples. And then the end will come. That's the watch night service at somewhere around 11.45. I was supposed to be done at 11.55 because we weren't sure what was going to happen at midnight. Somewhere around 11.45, something fell into place in my head and my heart. You know, have the Lord ever done that to you? Well, you just knew this was a moment, this was a time. Now, the life direction is going to change. And... I don't know, maybe it's tacky to come under conviction of your own preaching that night. But my dad's prayer rang in my ears for a minute. My prayer for you, Paul said, if you didn't hear it in the mic earlier, my prayer for you, Paul said, what are you doing here, Mrs. Smith? No longer Mrs. Smith, right? My prayer for you is that you would grow in your knowledge of love and depth of insight, discern what is best. Something fell into place. Wait a second. What is best? 
what is best. We're wrestling in Matthew 24, and the, not, the truth, something happened there. I could, I'm about to tell you what I think is best now. now here I come from out of town to, to be so presumptive. Wait till you hear it. Could there be anything better than the second coming of our King? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the worlds, a testimony to all the ethne, the nations, and then the end will come. Wouldn't it be, could there be anything better than to hear the trumpet before we sleep tonight? Wouldn't that be the greatest possible thing? To look and see the clouds, how that works at, at, all the way around, from the east to the west. Wait a second, it's going to be dark in half of those places, but from the east to the west, we're going to see his coming? I can't imagine anything better. And here I am at 11.45, and these pieces falling into place. Discern what is best. Discern what is best. My goodness, if his second coming is best, and his second coming is a matter of waiting on the gospel going to all geography and all peoples, sure seems like we know how to spend our life. I filled out a journeyman application the first week of January in 2000. With the IMB, a journeyman program, is a two-year assignment to go overseas. I graduated from college in May. It's one of those six-year degrees that's not called a doctorate but a bachelor's. But I got through with no debt. <laughs> I got through with no debt by God's grace, was able to immediately deploy. Found ourselves in Nepal where I met my wife a year later. Got married in 2002, post 9-11, to a courageous young lady. Still my wife today, we just celebrated 18 years, we've got four kids, two decades of work with the IMB, and the truth is, when was this church planted? What do you know? The year I got married, 18 years of marriage, I'll let you know, even as you set an ambitious goal for Lottie Moon in 2020, praise God, I heard some brothers say, oh, we're going to go fly right past that. Somebody mentioned that already tonight. $250,000 for Lottie Moon. Brothers and sisters, that's a God-honoring goal. That's a God-honoring gift. And just for the record, in 18 years, uh, I haven't missed a meal. I'll just tell you that. Except for those by choice, of course. There's some fasting along the way. Uh, you, you, you already knew that. You can look up here and see for yourself. We're pretty well fed. And it's because of churches and partners all across the Southern Baptist Convention like Long Viewpoint. Thank you. Thank you for partnering and walking with us. Thank you for that for that. Partnership from the very first days. As it says in Philippians, the, in the early days, your partnership in the gospel. That's how that, this church was founded. That's what Brother Wade told me I needed to do tonight, wasn't it? Talk about seed sowing and evangelism, even to the ends of the earth. Well, I got good news for you, and we're going to look at the word in just a second. I've said it a couple times this week. Relative to Jerusalem, North Mississippi is the ends of the earth, isn't it? Let me tell you a story from the Word of God. You're going to know this story. You feel free to turn to it. You'll know where it's at once you start to hear it. I'm going to paraphrase it in my own words, but you need to look it up and hold me accountable along the way. Let's see who opens their Bibles and follows along, by all means. Now, Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing more disciples than John. Although it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who were giving baptism. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Anybody know where we're at? John chapter 4. Feel free to turn there. Jesus had to go through Samaria. 
Along the way, at the sixth hour of the day, Jesus, tired as he was, sixth hour is about noon, sat down by a well. His disciples went into the nearby town to draw or to get food. While he was sitting by the well, a woman from that town, the town of Sychar, came to the well to draw water. It's the woman at the well, right? You know this story. And she was surprised when Jesus asked her for a drink. Woman, give me a drink of water. The woman said and replied, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews and Samaritans do not associate like this. Jesus said, if you knew who it was... She said, are you, in fact, are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would give you living water. How can you give me this water? You have no jar and the well is deep. Anyone who drinks from this well, Jesus said, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them, it will well up inside them, even unto eternal life. They'll never thirst Sir, give me this water, the woman said, and I won't have to keep coming to this well to draw. Jesus said, first go and call your husband and then come. And the woman, perhaps shocked by Jesus' command, said, Sir, I have no husband. Jesus knew the truth. In fact, he said to her, woman, what you've said is is the truth. In fact, you've had five husbands. The man you're now living with is not your husband at all. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Tell me, you Jews say that we must, the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. We Samaritans worship here on this mountain. Which is it? Jesus' instruction for the woman, woman, I tell you, a time is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He goes on to say, God, in fact, is spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. These are the type of worshipers that the Father wants, those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, we know, we Samaritans know that when the Messiah, the Savior comes, He'll tell us everything. Jesus replied to the woman, I who speak to you, literally, specifically, the same words given to Moses, I am. About that time, the disciples that had gone into the town to buy food came, and they were surprised to see Jesus speaking to the woman. But no one dared to ask him anything. Just then, the woman, having heard that Jesus claimed to be the Savior, the Bible says she left her jar at the well, and she went to the town. She said two things to the people. First, the quote, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. You can see it in verse 29, right? Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Second thing she said was a question. Could this be the Christ, the Savior? Could this be the Savior? The people came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples are wanting to ask him a question. They said, Rabbi, eat something. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Could someone have bought him food? My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, the disciples confused. Jesus goes on to instruct them. You say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Even now they're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages unto eternal life so that the sower and the reaper might be glad together. 
Thus the saying, the sower and the reaper are glad together. And it, he even concludes by telling the disciples, I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Just then, out of the town, here came a large group of Samaritans. They came to Jesus. And they said, they urged him, the Bible says, to stay with them. They had believed because of the woman's testimony. Come and see everything. A man who told me everything I ever did. Verse 39. And when they met Jesus, they urged him. And he stayed with them for two days. In the end, they could say, even to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now, what does it say? We have, verse 42, we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is the Savior of the world. Let's set, this aside, let's set this Bible study, this, this Bible passage aside for a minute. I told you I was going to give it in my own words. If you really follow along, there's a, there's a few little errors in there you need to fill in by your own reading. But I simply want to ask you, when we talk about evangelism, I'll, I'll set that aside. When we talk about evangelism, as Brother Wade encouraged me to do so tonight, random poll, who would you say is the greatest evangelist in our lifetime? Can there be more than one answer? I don't know. In our lifetime, who's the greatest evangelist? Just passed away uh, two years ago. Is that right? About two years ago, wasn't it? Finished well, didn't he? Billy Graham. Tell me about Billy Graham. If we were going to list Billy Graham's qualifications, well, we've got a man. How long has Billy Graham been a believer? Or how long had Billy Graham been a believer at his passing? Any idea? What's his testimony about coming to faith as a young man, right? Early teenage years, perhaps? So he's, we're talking about 70-plus years in the faith. Anybody have an idea of Billy Graham's education? I think it was a master's degree earned, but now... Such, an, uh, such a, a life of integrity and the sustained effort in, a, in evangelism and crusades. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, several different schools gave him the honorary doctorates, right? And I can think of several places where the school of evangelism is named after Billy Graham. That's an, that's an educated man. What would you say about his lifestyle? I can't pass the microphone around. Just shout it out. What would you say about his lifestyle? Any accusations you can think of there? Well, what's that? Above reproach. Above reproach. That's a good way to state it. I, he, he's known for righteous living. I heard, a, was it uh, Barbara Walters that interviewed Billy Graham's wife? And her name was Ruth, right? And now Ruth Graham Bell is the daughter, but Ruth Graham, I, something like that. Ruth Graham, she was interviewed by Barbara Walters one time. What did she say? Barbara Walters, have you ever considered divorce and Ruth, did you hear this before? Ruth Graham said, no, never, but I commit, considered murder several times, you know. <laughs> Nevertheless, a, a righteous man, right? He's the, we're talking about the advisor to five, six presidents within his ministry, U.S. presidents. That's a, I would, righteous man, above reproach, as you said, Jared. Thank you. When we think of an evangelist, Billy Graham comes to mind. If an evangelist is a partner with God to share the good news of Jesus, let me say it again. If an evangelist is a partner with God 
to share the good news of Jesus. And we picked up the story we recounted. Who's the evangelist? Who was it that partnered with God to share the good news of Jesus? The Samaritan woman? I want you to think about that for a second. When we think of an evangelist, we rightly think of Billy Graham. He, as I said, we would celebrate. He finished well. But it does come as something a little bit striking that the very qualifications we could list related to Billy Graham, as we consider the one Jesus chose to, as his partner, we would find the exact opposite list of qualifications. So that if we would point to Billy Graham a man, Jesus, even the woman, a bit surprised that a Jew would speak to her, a Samaritan woman. So I'll just go down the same list and ask you how long do you believe she'd been a believer when Jesus employed her to represent him? That day? Five minutes, I appreciate that. Brand new believer. And which Bible school does she attend? Educated? We know there's some surveys that go through uh, Ivy League schools about literacy across the centuries. Uh, one, read, one study I read from Yale University one time in their journal actually suggested that 15%, 15% in Judea in the time of Jesus, in the first century, would have been literate. And that's, that's male and female. A Samaritan woman from that area, what chances do you think she had to read, to write, to study? Uneducated, right? Now we come to the matter of reputation. Righteous living? He finished well. He was above reproach, Billy Graham. To his credit, is that who Jesus partnered with? It seems to me Jesus chose the most notorious of all that village to, to that town, Sychar, that little backwater there in Samaria. He chooses the woman who, that everyone knows. Five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband at all. To me, there's something striking there. The notion that if we were to profile, if we were designed to design an evangelist, we would probably be, he'd probably be about 6'2", and he'd probably come out of North Carolina, right? Billy Graham. We would probably go down that road. And when Jesus, who could choose anyone, in fact, Jesus, who could call a legion of angels to come and represent him, if he wanted to, and he chooses what might be the the sum qualifications of the last person on earth we might choose to partner with God to share the good news of Jesus. Something striking in that, isn't it? How that, how that rearranges some of my assumptions in the questions of who can and who can't. Really what we're talking about is who is Jesus willing to work through? Oh, it gets better. You know why? Peter was there. Peter, on Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he preaches, and 3,000 people line up for baptism. Peter is there, and Jesus puts him aside. 
go get some lunch. John, who wrote the gospel, who would eventually see the revelation, that's that John, the gospel writer. Have a seat, brother. Thomas, who we love to say in India, came all the way to India, according to church tradition, with the gospel after the day of Pentecost. Thomas was there, and he was set to the side. Jesus put aside some of those we consider pillars, some of those we consider the rock foundation in the church and church history in so many ways. Those that uh, were called to follow after Jesus, those who'd been honored to follow after him, were in some ways... Even shamed. You say four months. That one who would have been shamed in the culture has an encounter with Jesus and is elevated to honor. I love that Savior. I love that Christ. I love that Jesus who would surprise us even as an almighty holy God and choose the wretched of the world. Give them an identity. Give them integrity. Give them dignity. Go represent God most high. And the last person we might have chosen, well, Jesus made a pattern of choosing the simple things of the world to confound the wise. The question that would come in my mind is even as we try to chase down 1.7 billion in India and Nepal, South Asia, as we go out our door every day and a billion of your best friends are waiting right outside. Who and how and when we think about qualifications for seed sowing, for evangelism. Thank the Lord. Thank God for a Savior who would turn us upside down. Offer us dignity. Offer us the integrity of the gospel. To go about the work. Even the most notorious whose life changes fresh. And everyone that woman knew was lost, weren't they? Why not put that woman to work? Thank you, Jesus, for that example. The question comes then as we consider 1.7 billion. Oh, and just for the sake of the prayer in the prayer meeting, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 2028 is the year we'll cross 2 billion South Asian souls. Even in the next decade, we'll add about 300 million. Roughly the population of the U.S., right? 320, 330. As we consider then the question of evangelism, how might we reach out? The question simply comes as I follow that passage, that logic from John 4. Was the woman effective? Uh, the truth is, brothers and sisters, in two decades of ministry now, from the year 2000 until today, I've done some, I've done all, uh, worked hard in evangelism. I've never won an entire village to faith in a day. You know that? Isn't that what happened in this story? The, the Samaritans came out of their town and made their way to Jesus. It seems to me she was, she was very effective. Then the question, what was it she did that might serve as an example for us? What, how did she partner with God to share the good news of Jesus? You got your Bibles? Look there at, at three verses with me. Verse number 28, having heard that Jesus say, I who speak to you, I am he. Ego am I, I am, Jesus said. What's the Bible say? The next, the next action the woman takes is in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, she went back to the town. You see that? And I told you, I put, inserted, she said two things to the people. It tells us what those two things are. We'll get to verse 29 in a minute, but there in 28, something in the woman's response 
is valuable to us. If we are to go about partnering with God to share the good news of Jesus, we have an example in the Samaritan woman that's instructive for us here. It seems to me, even in the noon hour, in the heat of the day, she was compelled to that well for a purpose. She had a plan and a need there at that well, didn't she? In some ways, it was the work of the day for her to go and to gather water. The moment she hears that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Messiah on whom they'd been waiting, her plans were set aside. The reason she had come there was put down. That jar representing the work to be fulfilled was not worth comparing with the opportunity that Jesus had given her. What was that opportunity? Go and call your husband. Immediate obedience to the Lord. I, I need to pull my phone out and look. 7 o'clock. Immediate obedience to the Lord. Uh, he told me 7.52, 7.15, that's what it was. <laughs> Immediate obedience to the Lord. You know, there was a time we were walking in Nepal and my, when my knees were fresher and my belt was looser. We were walking in Nepal some many years ago. And we've been walking for many days. I remember coming around a hillside on a ridge as we would go village to village sharing the gospel. And I remember coming to a fork in the road and seeing the, <laughs> the proverbial well-worn path back toward Kathmandu, the capital city of Nepal. Tired as I was, there was another path to the left that went down the valley and up the other side. And across the other side, we knew it was a wealthy town because they had tin roofs. Roofs made of sheets of tin. And I knew they had those because I could see them gleaming in the sun, right? But it's going to be a day down there. And so... My little friend Prim, Nepali friend, I say little because he's literally in stature. He's about, he wasn't five foot, maybe. Uh, he, we, just, we sit down there and we talk. We take a rest. We have some water. Which way do you go? You know what we decided? I knew in my heart something compelling me that way. But I knew in my knees, even at the 24, 25 years old, there was definitely something compelling me that way. And we've, we found our way. We'll come back. Now that was uh, April, May. summer monsoon there in Nepal was a wet season filled with landslides. Do you want to know where the story's going? We'll come back after the rains. August, September, we, we beat down those same trails, come right back to that same ridge. We come up, and as we look across, uh, the Lord cracked me a little bit. We looked across to where we assumed we had about a day's walk to go, and where the tin roofs had been, there was a large brown scar. A man came by carrying some salt from a town somewhere down the ridge, a big bag of salt. We asked him what happened, and he told us about a month before, in the middle of the rainy season, 90 people had entered eternity under 20 feet of mud. Now, the Lord is in control. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord knows who, he is, who are his. The Lord cracked me a little bit. Immediate obedience to God. Am I, what I, I came right there to a moment knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, being prompted to go and to call, and I chose not to put my water jar down by the well. 
That ever, that ever happened to you? You ever had that prompting as you walk along throughout your day and something in the Holy Spirit says to you, here's an opportunity. Oh, by the way, did you have any opportunities to share the gospel this week? That's a, that question is, fa- is fallacious. That's a fallacy. The question is, did you take the opportunities you had? That's the question that comes to us daily. In that case, I didn't. And I remember praying. I have not lived up to this prayer. I'll just tell you over the years since. But I remember praying in my heart, Lord, never, never let me choose my own way over the opportunity to represent you, over the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And there we're talking about some some nations at the end of the earth. No, no, I know very well I've got a cousin who's lost. I've got a co-worker who needs Christ. I... I'm using that as hyperbole. I work with the IMB. I hope they're all saved, you know. But you know that coworker in your life. And you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit when that door swings open. Just a second, would you put your foot in it and hold it open? Put a doorstop there and squeeze through that door with the gospel. Isn't that where we want to be found? And, and immediate obedience is actually a volitional choice in advance. And the jar is not worth holding if you can put it down. Verse 28, she gave immediate obedience to God. You know what she said? Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. That's verse 29, right? What does verse 39 say? The the people said to the woman, or excuse me, the people in the town believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I, I found that personal testimony. That's what the Bible calls that statement, right? The woman's testimony. I have found that personal testimony to be the clearest and easiest application of 1 Peter 3.15 that I can, I can give to you. You know 1 Peter 3.15? Set apart Christ as Lord, right? Always be ready to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. A personal testimony as simple as life before Christ, how we met Christ, how our life changed. It might be as simple as I was empty. I saw Christians who had purpose. I gave my life to Christ, and he's given me direction. Life before, how we met. That woman, everybody knew about that woman's life, right? She would have been the source of gossip all over the town. And, but when she spoke, the Bible says, 439, they believed because of the woman's testimony. Not he, she condemned them of sin. No, he told me everything I, I, I ever did, the woman said. Your confession of Christ, the confession of your need for Christ, powerful. The testimony of the new believer might be the sharpest tool in evangelism. Like we said, everyone they know is lost, and everyone sees the life change. Have you dusted it off lately? Have you put it out there? Offering you that as an application like the woman. What did she do to be effective? Immediate obedience to Christ, a personal testimony. And then she asked a simple question. Could this be the Savior? Do you see that? Could this be the Savior? You know what she did? She presented Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior. And she called people to decision. Yes or no? You know what I would call presenting Jesus as the Savior and calling for a decision, yes or no? I'd call that gospel presentation. Could this man save you or not? Do you have a need for a Savior or not? 
Now, there's many ways to share that gospel. I know that there's gospel training going on regularly even in this church. Have you dusted it off lately? Have you pulled out? Have you practiced with your spouse? Have you practiced with your children? Have you gone about in your Sunday school class? When's the last time you... Sunday school class? Do we do that here? Community group? What are we calling it? In your small group ministry? When was the last time you sat and practiced one-to-one and remind each other of the simple gospel that saved us? What we practice, we put into work. We put to work, right? So she gives immediate obedience. She presents a a simple uh, personal testimony. She reaches out, presents Jesus as the Savior, calls for decision. And then in verse 30, you see it very clearly. Even as we're short on time, it says that uh, she led everybody to Christ's feet. The people made their way out of the town, and they made their way to Jesus. Do you see that in verse 30? 28, 29, 30. Immediate obedience, testimony, gospel. And she brought them to the feet of Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't sitting by the well in Sychar any longer, right? How do we introduce people to Jesus? You know, it's, it's something like, oh my goodness. In chapter 3, just before that in John 4, John the Baptist, pretty good preparer of the way, pretty good evangelist for Jesus, wasn't he? What did he say there? You remember what he said? The greatest verse on evangelism in John 3, we would all go to 16, maybe verse 7, must be born again, but 16 is right there on the tip of our tongue. That's about salvation. Beautiful. The greatest verses on evangelism in John 3 come out of John the Baptist's mouth. You know what he says? The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The attendant, speaking of himself, I believe, listens for the bridegroom's voice. When the groom begins to speak, you know what happens at the wedding? The attendant is quiet. You know why? Because the groom isn't speaking to the attendant at a wedding. I've been to one. (laughs) Really, uh, not very many. One, 18 years ago, the groom speaks to the bride, right? It's called vows. They exchange them. John the Baptist says, "The, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The attendant listens for the groom's voice, and when he hears his voice, his joy is made complete. That joy is mine. He must become greater. I must become less, John the Baptist says. Now, that's about evangelism. Are you willing as we, what does it mean to introduce people to Christ? It's like a a bride and a groom brought together. And if the attendant does all the talking, if the evangelist does all the speaking, never allows the groom to speak to the bride, the bride to the groom, uh, honestly, you don't have a wedding. How do we get married? How do we become the bride? How do we speak to God? It's, It's called prayer. How does God speak to us? It's called the Word. How do we introduce people to Christ? We don't take people to the physical well in Sychar any longer. We set up the wedding. How, where and how is God going to speak to them? We open the Word with them. We spend time reading together. We, we explain what we know. How do they speak to God? We show them. You can ask God to help you with this. You can ask God to, to bless you with that. You can present that need before Him. We show them how to pray. And as they pray and God speaks, the wedding happens. The woman brought the people to the feet of Jesus. What did 42 say? Last point, what did 42 say? We no longer believe because of what you said, the people told the woman. We no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is the Savior of the world. That's what evangelism is. We're setting up the wedding. We're attending the wedding.
So when was the last time you gave immediate obedience? Are you always prepared to give a reason for the hope of the sin in you? What was your life like before Christ? How did you meet him? How did your life change? That's called a testimony. Do you have the gospel seed in your heart? If it's in your heart, you know what happens? From the overflow of your heart, what happens? Your mouth starts to speak. And introduce people by opening the word with them, by showing them how, this is how we pray. Let, let's see about the wedding, even as we would take the same role as attendance. One minute in prayer, is there a name? One minute in prayer as we finish, is there a name? Is it your cousin? Is it your coworker? I'm asking you to think about your schedule, your plan tomorrow. Is there a name who needs to know what changed your life? Is there a husband you would call? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We say thank you for being the Savior. Thank you for, for coming to our sidecar. Thank you for sitting by the well and waiting on us. Thank you, Lord, that you use the simple things of the world to confound the wise, according to Corinthians. That you would give dignity and honor in, in letting the wretched of the world represent you. Who are we, Lord? As we walk with you, Lord, remind us of what it was to be lost. Remind us of what it was to be the sheep that had gone astray. Lord, by that same remembrance, Heavenly Father, stir our heart once again for those who haven't known you. That we could shine our light. Knowing you're the light of the world, you would call us to be a city on the hill. Heavenly Father, that we would shine our light they might see our good deeds and honor our Father in heaven. Where there's brothers and sisters thinking about a name tonight, one who doesn't know you in their calendar and their schedule tomorrow, Lord, as we prayed earlier, give them great boldness. Give them that opportunity. Show them that opportunity tomorrow to engage. Lord, use these testimonies. Use that gospel as you have in our heart you might be honored and glorified among those who don't know you. I pray over my brothers and sisters with gratitude, with thanks for Longview Point and the work that you're doing throughout this community through them in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.